Hello, hello, everybody. It's an indeterminate day for a special edition of the Bad Dog Book Club. I'm, I'm uh, the, the, the cat that's playing as the otter is away to torture an old phrase. Toonces, and I'm here with uh, Sparf, who's joining us. Hello. He's, uh, he's filling in for an emergency session of the book club. He, uh, Skip is away at the Rocky Mountain Fur Con right now. So over the weekend, we had made plans with uh, another fur to record a show for this, but technical difficulties kind of got in the way the last second. So we've had uh, Sparf here as a local fur step in for a helping hand at the last second. You might remember he read the... Uh, which, which story did you read? Ah, you forgot already. Yes. Uh, oh, dear. It was just about two stories ago, wasn't it? it yeah. Wasn't it the was... last one, because the last one was uh, Alex Vance, I believe, wasn't it? With the yeah, I think so. I I can, I can with technology, determine this, but it was... Uh, oh, it was $40,000. No. $40,000? No, 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 no. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm thinking of... Uh, I'm thinking of Anthrodreams. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's great. You did a crossing, wonderful job. I remember that much. Crossing my podcasts up. Uh, forty, yeah, forty thousand dollars, forty thousand dollars. It was. And then there was the the Kitsune one that that wasn't this one, and then there was. Uh, the werewolf one, um, and and the moon outside. That's what it was and called. And the moon outside. That's what ah. it was. Keep triangle story. Yes, that's a good one. Yes, if it was more pornographic. I might have been able to remember it more easily. <laughs> Well, we've got, like, a semi-pornographic story this week, too. Uh, All's Well That Ends, which is a very cheery title for a rather cheery story. And, well, before we get to the story, you said, you wanted to talk about, uh, you, you got to meet somebody at a convention recently. Yeah, um, a couple of weeks back, there was a, a small sci-fi con in, uh, well, uh, Hunt Valley, Maryland. It's just north of Baltimore. And uh, Christopher Judge was one of the guests. But he mentioned fursuits at some point, hadn't he? Like, yeah, Christopher Judge. Uh, if you look him up on YouTube, just look up Christopher Judge Furries. You'll you'll find him on a panel at some big convention with the cast of Stargate, being told what furries are, or at least what people tend to describe furries as. His reaction is really priceless. And when I found out he was going to be there. I, I got in touch with the con staff. Um, I, I paid for a photo op with him. Uh, and I, I contacted the con staff and I said, uh, are you guys cool with costumes? Is, it gonna be, is there going to be a problem? Costumes and, is a very loaded phrase here. Yes, costumes being it's a very... very term. Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, and being a good one. ambassador to the fandom is important, kids. <laughs> and I sent a photo of myself in my pretty green fursuit. And the... Uh, staff responded back and says, no, that's no problem. Uh, a mascot looks like it would be a lot of fun. A mascot. I like that term even better. Yeah, that is that is a great term. Um, <laughs> amateur mascot performance. But uh, she, she said, yes, as long as there's no nudity or, or lewd, um, you know, as we are a family-friendly con. I was like, oh, well, that's absolutely fine by me. So the day comes, and uh, I suit up and go... Um, to the photo op room and get my photo taken with Christopher Judge, which, for those of you who don't know uh, him by name, this is the gentleman from Stargate SG-1 who played Teal'c, the um, very stoic, very very Michael Dorn, Klingon sort of character. But, I remember him. Yeah, with the, with the gold thing on his head. and Clearly I remember and, him. And uh, he got a kick out of it. In fact, when I uh, 
when I went through the autograph line the next day to sign it, he recognized the picture because obviously I was the only one who had done something like this at the con. And he looked up and said, oh, it's you, because I wasn't wearing the suit. I said, yeah, that's me. He's like, great, great. He's like, who, he's like who do you want it signed to? And I told him. And uh, of his own accord, I didn't actually prompt him on this. He wrote Furries Forever as part of the autograph personalization. So I was really pleased with that. Uh, so that's how uh, that's how responsible furries interact with celebrities, uh, as opposed to fursuiters humping Will Wheaton's leg. And you know what? What I what I think what happened here, and what I think is starting to happen more and more with people, is that uh, they're starting to en- engage with the outsider image of furries that I don't think a lot of people chose. To, to, to take on when they started getting into this, maybe came into it more reluctantly. Mm-hmm. But in, in certain contexts, that image is actually very, very preferable to people, especially uh, younger people like uh, who are in like college age that want to be rebellious and have uh, some kind of distinct image. I, I, I posted a journal recently, I think it was more or less just saying I think the hipsters are starting to run out the nerds. <laughs> oh, That's, God, I hope not. For me, it's like seeing, like, <laughs> Two, two loved ones fighting. It's like, no, no, please, children. <laughs> well, it's, it's, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not an, uh, I'm not officially a gray muzzle. And you're not um, a hipster either, I'll say that. Yeah. Clearly. No, uh, yeah, you can look at me and tell. But, uh, I, I, I've kind of grown into a position in the fandom where the fandom is to me something more than rebellion and more that it's not for that anymore and it never really was for me I you know I had my share of of of, you know gateway drugs Robin Hood and Balto and the Lion King and now there's one every three or four years there's a a furry gateway drug to borrow Fuzz's phrase I think it is and yeah but it's it's kind of a great creative outlet which we can have things like your guys podcast that I get to be on as, oh, yay. But, but that's what, what I think is, is causing this is like the actual social uh, structures that this fan is being built on, like the, the fur affinity, the website, stuff like that, that are more or less built just to facilitate facilitate people meeting and talking to each other when in, before it would have seemed much more difficult. Is that? Do you think that's having an effect on who has more access to the fandom and who, who can join up? Because I think it is having an effect of pushing it more toward the mainstream, just because it's getting lashed onto these more mainstream. Well, I will things. say that you know you're seeing the stuff in Hot Topic now, the the furry um, sort of leggings and and arm sleeves that are like one step down from an actual fur suit. Really? Yeah, I I was on the metro um, a month or two ago, and there was a guy. Uh, it was actually a couple of months back because it was on the day of Pride, the Pride Parade. And he was wearing, um, like, these striped furry leggings and, and arms that he had ears on. And, but, and, and he was a young guy, and I wasn't going to be, like, that, that creepy dude that comes like, Are you a furry? Because <laughs> uh, um, we don't need any more crazy creeper images. Um, Certainly don't. No. So, but I was watching, and I, well, and I looked, that story. This story does not help that image, by the way. That's yeah. what I was going to say. If we're going to talk about that now, may as well just say the story does not help the uh, the crazy creeper image at all. We have a mysterious line sneaking into a hospital. With a, with an underage cancer <laughs> patient. That's, that is that is trouble. I mean, you know, 
at least at least while he's underage, I will say this, at least while he is technically underage, because he'd be, uh, I think the story said, a junior in high school, at least it's an adolescent who is well aware of sexuality. It's not like... It's not like the 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 very small children, which that's a whole different can of worms, uh, as 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 F A found out several months back. <laughs> yeah, thanks thanks um, Alert Pay. I actually want to extend my personal thanks to Alert Pay in that regard. <laughs> but it's, um, yeah. I know I still think it's funny though, just because it's um such a very vulnerable image, of course, to put at the center of a story. And what I didn't get is why it was made an erotic story because I thought the two things just did not blend to me because we've we've, uh, featured stories on here before that obsess with death essentially like the entire story is a a rumination on that but I don't think we've had any that kind of tied the two with uh, tied it with uh, eroticism so much and I just didn't it did not leave a good taste in my mouth like toothpaste and orange juice oh so thanks for that image um yeah, I, I will. I will say that about the story is that really the 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 eroticism almost seemed totally superfluous, and it was it was written in a way like as as you know if, if um, I'm just going to keep stealing phrases from famous podcasters because I can, um, and if they hear this, they'll know who they are, and your listeners probably know who I'm stealing this from. But if they're just going to control F cock in the uh, in the document, then and and look for that, and it's I mean it's well put together. It's 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 it serves its function as erotic material. Uh, it's well written in that respect. But as far as a, as a plot point, given the the sort of hopelessness that you see at the beginning with um, Aaron the fox uh, being cancer patient too, it's like no, you're dying. Yeah, it's like he's he knows he's dying. dying. He's gonna die. And him him dealing with that, and I almost wanted the I almost wanted when the lion showed up. It, you know, there there could be an, an erotic thing there, but I I didn't necessarily want to see it right off the bat. I thought maybe if it had if it had grown into that, it would have it would have the pacing would have been. A I little... was hoping for like fevered dreams or something like that. I mean, it's not as if, like, eroticism in the vague concept is necessarily barred from any kind of story, but I just thought it was very awkwardly handled, where he reads the story, and for some reason, reading the story triggers some magical event where the protagonist from the story magically comes into his room. And I thought, okay, that's... It it seems like the the, the best counter-argument to some advice I remember hearing at uh, a furry convention one time, which says something like... uh, gravity is green and everybody knows that where if you want these surreal things or these scientific uh, these sci-fi concepts just to be accepted you just present them as if they are and -hmm. just accept them that's kind of it seems like almost like that's what they were going for here what Alpha was going for here and it just fell completely flat I remember I think about the only real substantiation that was done to to, to really verify this is a real thing we just want you you readers to understand that he says no touch me don't I feel real like, uh, is that all the more we're going to get for this? But it, it's a, it's a short story, so maybe they can't invest that much time into it. Yeah, I, I think I think with the the threads, um, the emotional threads that kind of get presented, this might have been better as a longer work. Um, 
there's there's certainly I mean I found a lot of really great grains of things that sort of maybe were a little harvested prematurely or or cut off a little prematurely. Um, I I will say that I in reading in reading it. Um, I was I was starting to say this earlier. Uh, in reading it, I really wanted the lion to be. More supportive, more of a maybe? yeah, more of a guide. I, the one thing I did like uh, that is is, and maybe this is kind of talking out of both sides of my mouth, but about about Arj the lion is that toward the end. Oh, sorry about that. Toward the end, he um, it turns out that he he really is being kind of selfish. Which, you know, you, you kind of expect these magical beings to be, in, in a story like this, you kind of expect them to be benevolent, and and when they say it's your time, but you can come with me, then that's the truth. But he's got just a little bit of the other mother thing from Coraline going on, where it's like, oh, all is well, my, I have you now. <laughs> um, except that he's not really malevolent, he's just, he's lonely. And well, it, that, that was a nice, uh, that was a nice... Colonel, I, th- I think, should have been drawn out a little more. What they make explicit late in the story, when the when uh, in the final meeting, when even the parents are there and they think they see Orange, but anyway, uh, I wish I lost my train of thought. Skip's gonna have to cut this out. <laughs> Can't even find the going. station, huh? No. <laughs> mm. What they were trying to do explicitly at the end was what they were trying to do, uh, kind of. A bit more subtly in the beginning, which is were to uh, put Aaron in the place of Prince Friss in the story, because I mean, Arch comes in and saves Prince Friss, and Prince Friss is uh, not just in any kind of particular nefarious circumstance, but he's like held down and restrained, mm-hmm. kind of in a way that Aaron similarly is. And uh, I, I feel like I can't, can't remember any specific uh, examples right now, but there are a couple times where they're mirrored there, so that you can see that there's kind of a yeah I would a similarity there. But then, like, Prince first dies at the end, and then they just want Aaron to replace him, and it just seems kind of like a very awkward way to tie up that little narrative there. I mean... Yeah. It, from the beginning, you the story sets up that the the, the, the disease is incurable, and yes, it, I mean, it's, it's obviously cancer from the chemotherapy treatments and whatever, and cancer can go into remission, and, and it, you can have... You know, you can be that close to giving up and then come back from it. I don't want to. I don't want to say that that's not realistic at all. I, that's not what I mean. Uh, but there's story there's, doesn't reinforce that sense, not at all. The story sort of not until like the very end. At the very end, it gives you hope. Like once he comes out to his parents, like oh, maybe I can live now. Yeah, it, it, it seemed it seemed to draw a correlation there that I don't think is justified. Um, it toys with your emotions, essentially. There's something to be said for a story that can take you on a well-guided kind of tour through a, a wide range of feelings and emotions, but this one just kind of jerks you back and forth like a broken amusement ride. I mean, you start out the story, and it's hopeless, he's going to die, and then, oh, cool, he has a book, and that's good for him. And then, oh, wow, there's this guy who's making his life, apparently... You know, wonderful. He's feeling so much better. And okay, great. Now he's come out to his parents. He can live again. But oh, wait, no. Now he has to die again. 
Except now that guy's bad. He's we actually really know he's an asshole. Mm. He wasn't as good as he thought he was. And then in the end, he's alive or something. Well, it's it's also it's not, and I'm grateful for this. I really did appreciate that that Alpha tried that tried something different because this story has a lot in common in in a couple places. As once once the lion shows up, it has a little bit in common with a story called an occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge. And that's uh, an old story. Um, I f- I feel like an idiot right now. I forget who wrote it. Um, it's about this guy who has been caught by Union troops during the Civil War trying to sabotage a railroad bridge, and they take him out on the bridge and they're going to hang him. And the rope breaks, and he swims. Away. He manages to get away, and he's thinking about home, and he's thinking about this, and he's running and hiding and running and running, and he's as he gets. As he gets to the the gate of his plantation, there's I mean there it is completely unharmed just as he left it, and he gets there and, and he sees his wife on the porch and he runs to her, and then the story does this abrupt snap where uh, uh, he felt all of a sudden he felt something sharp jerk backwards on his neck and. Then the narrative cuts to Peyton Farquhar was dead. His body hung limply swinging from a rope at the end of Owl Creek Bridge. Um, and the whole thing had happened in that moment before death. And that's kind of where I thought the story was going with the lion. Because I figured, okay, they did something like this on the TV series uh, Bones, I think. It may have been Bones. It may have been one of the... It was, it was a medical show or an investigation show of some kind. I remember that there was the character who had died in either the previous season or two seasons back was standing there and talking to one of the characters and she would have conversations with him and it was like he was a ghost and she really was believing he was a ghost and it turned out she had a brain tumor. Um, and that was what was causing it. Yeah, so that's it, how it, I felt too. And I actually thought at, at the end it was going to build to that, that uh, we were going to be revealing this as some kind of final dementia of the of the death pangs or something like that. And it was like like a really anticlimactic when it turned out that the like I think the definition of anticlimactic when the father says I think I saw him and it's I don't it was actually like really hit me like the only part of the story that really hit me emotionally was when he was on the phone with his parents and he's saying the line from the book is here I think I have to die Mm -hmm. I mean because I mean to me I was reading it again as in like okay so we're confirming that these were I guess apparently finally now images in his head and then also again apparently now they weren't like three paragraphs later. Yeah, the the parents playing along, if in fact like he was not there, and that's that's what's unclear to me. But if if in fact he wasn't there, the parents playing along with him strikes me as a little strange. But because of, um, and and I mentioned this to you before the the podcast, um. My grandmother had a mild dementia when she was alive. Not, she was mostly functional. She didn't have Alzheimer's disease, and she didn't forget things very often. But occasionally, things would happen where Dad and I would come home, and she would look up at him and say, "I'd like you both to meet." And she would turn, and she was, "Well, now where did he go?" And there had never been anybody there, and the doctors had told my dad that his that he needed to bring her back to reality that you know to make to to 
help her t- to be able to focus and stay. So I, I, I guess having never been through ex- an, an extended cancer treatment with a family member, uh, my father had prostate cancer, but it was uh, it was a, a operate, it was operable, and there was no chemotherapy or radiation involved, and so I, I don't really know if the the treatments have changed for that in the last 15 years since my grandmother passed away. Um, so that, that kind of stuff, and, and if they did see him, they're awfully nonchalant about it. Yeah, it's really not surprising at all, because you were, you, were, you were going over the specific situations either, okay, either he's not there and they're indulging their dying son for some crazy reason, I don't know, or two, he is there and there's this strange lion in their dying child's room. Mm-hmm. And neither of these things makes very much sense. I really feel as if, like, what you're right, uh, if this if this story were assured, it just fit too tight. This needs to be expanded a bit. I mean, it's not as if, like, these uh, themes do not belong together. It's mm-hmm. not as if they couldn't possibly be told. It just seems such a very awkward way to cram it into such a, a short space. And in that space, have such a large number of it devoted to pulp. Which I think just gives the, the uh, mistaken impression that this is just a wank piece, and I think clearly this is not intended to be a wank piece. Yeah, and, and I think I, I think the prose itself flows very nicely. Yeah, um, I mean, Alflor wrote one of my favorite stories we've written. I mean, we've read mm-hmm. on this podcast so far. We, we know Alflor can write. This story just didn't turn out well. Yeah, I've, I've actually uh, checked out a little of his stuff online um, because he posts he posts to Twitter, and I follow him. Uh, he posts when he posts a new chapter of of this work in progress. He's posting on Soferi, and uh, which, as a side note, I really hope that their interface is drastically improved with this uh, Soferi 2.0. Did because you check out the new one? Did you see the beta? I I I only had time to glance at it. Like, don't just glance, look at it. It's really good. The whole thing is really nice. Well, as long as I don't have to use their their own built-in strange editing thing to enter my stories, if I could just take a story and upload the file, I'll be happy. Because like, I, I wasn't that down on the, the interface as it was. I mean, it wasn't the best. It was kind of cluttered, but I could navigate it okay. But when I would go to submit stories that I would I had a few things I wanted to submit, I'm like, oh, so I have to open my file, copy, paste it, make sure I set the line spacing back to normal, and then uh, it just it was inconvenient. But anyway, yeah, but yeah, so having read um, other stuff by him, like I, I really enjoy his work, and this one I think just maybe needs needs a little more love and care, like as far as fleshing it out, and he may or may not you know want to spend any time doing that, like it may just be uh, I think it's already published. Oh, it is? I think it's published oh, I gotta check Damn. but uh, he uh, I think he's he's finished with this story as it is, hmm. Well, um... Hmm. There you go. <laughs> the, that's unfortunate, though. This is, the, I think, the first episode of the podcast where Skip's going to yell at us because Skip doesn't like it when I say mean things. I don't, I don't want to be mean. I just didn't like it. We could try, like, being very hurtful if that might be more cathartic. Because <laughs> that's, that's what I operate at, under sometimes. You just say it's that it hurts the worst. And then later on, you know, it'll be like having dipped your burning hand in ice cold water. Sure, it hurts at first, but then. Well, I, I, I don't go so far as to say that I that I dislike the story. I just think that there there were some issues with it that 
that I thought could be addressed just with a with a length thing. And it may very well be if it's been published that it it was cut to length. Somebody might have butchered this. I don't know. It it, it may have been cut because I found um, my story from from uh, from the Fernal Equinox con book this year. Um, I there were there was a chunk of information and sort of character development that was up front that was very... I had edited several times to make sure that I wasn't just info-dumping on people, and basically it came down to uh, working the character's actions into sort of showing you what kind of person he was, and that he worked... He was a scientist, that he worked in a laboratory, and he believed firmly in science. Mm -hmm. And then is going out into the middle of wood in middle of the woods on the night of a full moon to do this this ritual in order to see his dead lover again mm-hmm. and this is completely out of character and so there has there's for him to do this and so I had to do a lot of editing to make it fit um space requirements for the con book they needed me to cut and I I I took a um, a, a fine scalpel and extracted everything I could and made it fit. But if 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 you're having to cut for space, sometimes that will throw the pacing off in ways that um, you 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 may not see. Like I rereading it would. On the other side of the coin, it might not have been cut for space. Maybe there's also a possibility he just didn't write out enough. And I think something writers underrate sometimes is oftentimes if you want to develop certain things, things, you're going to have to give a certain amount of space to them. That means having X, X thousand number of words and committing yourself to writing them. I actually kind of restrain myself sometimes to writing just short stories because I, I know I couldn't really write anything that much longer and sustain it. Mm-hmm. If, I, if I did, it would be a much more um, daunting project. I, yeah, it, it... I've I've been working on notes for um, something that right now is looking to be roughly novella length um, at the to tell the story I want to tell and it may end up becoming novel length but I'm not sure that the story um, goes that far like I'm not sure that there's enough to make a full novel even a short one. Most of the stories I read just got like four or five thousand words. That's it. And I try to make it up. I try to keep the concept itself pared down and simple enough that it can, you know, be expressed in four to five thousand words. And one thing I try to do is uh, I try to make it so that the sexuality is in and of itself the story. Because I think human sexuality is such a dynamic and broad sphere that you don't have to attach it to other things to make it compelling or intriguing. Like you don't have to be uh, pairing up two other characters for some external reason to make their, you know, their, their meeting. Relevant, mm-hmm. and I would say I would say that there are some good examples of that in in several issues of Heat, where um, they're I mean they're they're written to display the sexuality front and center, and that is the actual impetus of 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 any plot. There's 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 writing like that. That isn't there conflict and drama and human sexuality just naturally. I would say yes, much of the time. Um, much of the time, uh, well, I, I I don't like to 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 use absolutes. I think we soften over the conflicts enough times, but it's such a, a pretty emotionally charged human activity in and of itself. I think you can write books that are just about uh, fucking, like you can write books that are just about war. 
Because, I mean, they're, they're pretty dynamic and, you know, uh, intriguing human concepts in and of, of themselves. They have their own standards. and well, Yeah, problems. there's, I mean, right, there's a prime example of, of that in, in Catch-22. It's that's a that's a war novel, that is about war, in a specific point of view. Or even the Texas Israeli War, nineteen ninety nine, of which I'm about ten chapters in. I got this as a gift from a friend uh, over my birthday, Das Kuhn, on uh, for Affinity, and I guess this book's been advertised in different places. And the entire concept of this book is that okay, in nineteen ninety two, some terrorists put LSD in Britain's water supply, which caused their prime minister to launch nuclear weapons at, okay, get this coalition, Ireland, China, South Africa. So so now they, they were then going against the British, and then it, it, call, it caused a um, global thermonuclear war through which the only surviving country was Israel, who prospered into a world superpower, who then had to invade Texas who have seceded from the United States. This entire book is nothing but, more or less, them describing tanks moving in this direction and shooting over there. That's the entire book. And the thing, and the thing that I get about this, I'm making fun of this book a lot because I clearly dislike it. But somebody, somebody liked this. This was well, right up someone's alley. Yeah, well, there is... Uh, this is, uh, let's see, I've actually seen this imprint before, um, Sound, uh, science fiction in the grand tradition. Uh, Valentine, uh, yeah, uh, that's, um, that's an imprint that, at one time, it looks like when that was written, published a lot of third-tier science fiction and a lot of, um, I think they actually published a lot of Western like a lot of westerns, nobody does westerns anymore. No, and really, I think we just—I think it's because it was kind of mined out. But now, when you bring it back, you can do things that are really interesting. You can really play with old conventions because everybody still knows the conventions, mm-hmm. but you can play with them. Like as bad a movie as it probably is, and I, I love Daniel Craig and I love Harrison Ford, but 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 Cowboys versus Aliens. I want to see that. I. I haven't seen it yet, and I want to see it because I want to see if they actually play with Western conventions. The um, if you look back at um, I'm trying to think more re- less recent but more recent than the old spaghetti westerns or or the fistful of dollars or things like that. If you look at Tombstone or you look at some of those that were early '90s or Young Guns or the they were. They really played with the, with the, with the genre. I, you know, that's I don't know how we got onto that topic, uh, but <laughs> maybe that's maybe that's our cue to wrap it up for, for the week. Maybe so. Maybe so. Good but grief! Thanks again for joining us for like this emergency session. You're a lifesaver. I I'm glad to help out. Excellent you know. conversation too, and thanks for teaching me all these things. I mean, I I'm I'm supposed to be the kind of the neophyte, the person who is a little bit more new to it and a little bit kind of ignorant because I'm very oblivious, very passive. And so thanks for for telling me all this cool stuff today. Uh, yeah, anytime. I, I had a had a good time. Um, Alflora, thanks thanks for letting us use your story. We're sorry that I didn't I didn't like it as much, but everybody should still check out Alflora's story. He's really good. Yeah, um, absolutely. Check him out. Um, check him out on SoFerry, and I think he has an FA um, as well. Um, his stuff is is. Uh, there's one thing I will say about it 
universally that I've not read a story by him that was harsh on the on the reader to read. It wasn't. I've not read anything that was flat emotionally, um, and that's that's something that I regard as really important. Um, while that I meant to get to earlier, and that was that um, I've read some things. Um, you know, be real quick with this, but I've read some things in the past, published things that were so hard to get through. In fact, my mind is going right now to a Star Wars novel. Because when I was in high school, I went to the library and they always kept a lot of them on hand. And I read things like the Jedi Search Trilogy and then um, the, what I refer to as the Holy Trinity of Star Wars books, the uh, um, Heir to the Empire Trilogy by Timothy Zahn. And then this new book came out and it was called The New Rebellion. And I picked it up. It was on the new release section, and I I read through it. And I'm going. I don't. These are characters I have known, for years, and I do not care about one of them. You could not. I, Han Solo could be ignited right now by a grenade, and I would not shed a tear, <laughs> for this. It's pretty bad. The, the the author had also no concept of the universe in which she was writing. This is one of about ten Star Wars novels that is so bad it has been declared non-canon. <laughs> By who? Who's the authority on this? Lucasfilm. Uh, everything that happens in the Star Wars uh, novels is considered canon unless they look at it. Are we really it. trusting George Lucas on this? Did George Lucas make George Lucas canon? You know, as much as... as much as we could, we could have a whole podcast. In fact, there is one. It's called Unsheathed, where they talk about the storytelling problems in the new trilogy. They're still considered canon. Those events do happen. The only solace I take is that, according to someone at Lucasfilm, Jar Jar Binks was on Alderaan when it blew up in Episode Four. So. At least there is that. And always a happy ending. That was the happy ending. You know, as much as I like this podcast, I think we should, you know, maybe go back and add a, uh, a che- Chewbacca roaring in the background. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> just put that in the background every five minutes or so, just so we know Chewbacca's chilling with us. You thanks, should. You should. Th- thanks for joining us, Spar. Thanks for joining us, Chewbacca. Uh, see you later, everybody. All right.